Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Shane Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Outcast Catholic. I'm Father Shane Demon. Father Travis Crotty. It's good to be with you again, Father. Likewise. Yeah, what's new these days? Well, we're just cranking out episodes here, so we've been talking for a while. <laughs> this is what it feels like to do hour-long episodes like the... Like the real like podcasters the pro, like the out pros. there. Yeah, yeah, not these little treadmill episodes. Um, what is new? I just went on a... Um, wow, that's a bold move. Guys, biking in the rain. It's kind of a little sketchy. Um, just took the senior class on a retreat to yeah. the... Creighton University Retreat Center in Griswold, Iowa. Have you been before? I well, have. of course you have, because that's where uh, Kairos is yes. held for Kemper and for Dowling. Mm-hmm. Got a taste of that. Um, that was nice. Yeah, uh, it's kind of a neat chapel with the with the windows. It's a nice facility. Altar. It is nice. Yeah, so it was good. It was a good retreat. Um, yeah, Pretty good. One of the things that I've noticed as I go around the diocese is so many schools right now are doing May crownings. Oh yeah, which is just a beautiful um, tradition that I think a lot of people are recovering. We did that last year. I really should. I should plan that soon. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, uh, we should. As my campus minister, I, we throw things together in the last minute sometimes, and it works. Uh-huh. Um, we, yeah, that's really great because we have first communion this weekend. So I think we should do that. Uh, we can do that soon. We mm-hmm. did it last year with the students who had just made their first communion. Um, they're the ones who processed in their white dresses again and their, I guess, shirts and ties, mm-hmm. and carried the flowers. Nice. And we have this beautiful statue of Mary up by the school. Mm-hmm. So we walked right out of the school and this like kind of cool parking lot piazza that we have and straight up to the hill. It's great. Nice. I know the bishop is doing a May crowning at Cathedral Evening Prayer tomorrow night. Oh, good. We're recording this on a Saturday, and uh, he's leading Vesper's Evening Prayer at the Cathedral, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of a new thing. We'll probably do an episode on the, the value of evening prayer and everything. Ah, you love The parochial about, celebration of the Liturgy of the Hours, Father Shane. You love that topic. We'll save that little gem for another day. Well, that was one of our first uh, podcasts. I know, yeah. but I'm sure there's ways to keep coming back to that and unpacking more so. and more right. and more. Father, I want to talk about three big questions. Or can you handle three questions? Only three. Only three. I am not... I'm not going to be so bold as to say, like, these are the three most important questions that define a Catholic's faith. But I've been chewing on these for a while, and uh, especially as I talk to people who leave the church, uh, who think that the church is a complete ridiculous outcast, uh, or they're trying to really define for themselves the differences between maybe their Catholic faith and their spouse's Protestant faith, or maybe their boyfriend-girlfriend's Protestant tradition, I think there's three key questions, and I'm not going to say these are the most perfect questions. I might keep refining them, but these are the questions as I see them today. Um, I think the first question is, for someone to be a Catholic, is Jesus divine? Hmm. Is he just a human being and an ancient, like, you know, religious guru, ancient philosopher who came with a few, like, you know, clutch teachings and (laughs) kind of impressed a few people? Is he divine? I think every Christian has to ask that question. Uh, and it obviously attached to that divinity question is, is does he have the power to rise from the dead on Easter morning and defeat sin and death, right? But is he divine? Did he really actually have the power to perform all those miracles, to fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament, and to exalt humanity in his union of humanity and divinity in such a way that had never been experienced before? And if he is divine, 
then it, he, is he worth following? And yeah. I would say, yeah. <laughs> and is theosis divinization the goal? Right. To be, yeah, to be brought into that relationship of divinity. Right. Yeah, so I think that's just a, a real key question. Is Jesus divine? And if there's, if there's listeners out there really struggling with their own belief, if they're wondering, you know, is Christianity and is the Catholic tradition really for me? Uh, that, I think that has to be a primary thing. If, if Jesus is just a, an ancient guru or philosopher for you, then uh, you need to go a little deeper. Yeah. Okay. It's pretty easy to ignore if right. it's just a nice little guru guy. Right. Yeah. Second question. And we could probably do episodes on all three of these questions, but we're just going to get them all out there and then we'll keep unpacking. Okay. Second question. This is what we like to leave you with here at Outcast Catholic. Do we just give you like a little sample, just like a little <laughs> Costco aisle sample? Right. And then you just you have to listen to another one. We just mm-hmm. give lots of samples, little 20 minute samplers. The second question is Is the Catholic Church the bride of Christ? And, and I phrase that question very, very poignantly in a specific way. I, I don't just ask the question, what is the Catholic Church? Because people might define that in very broad ways. Is the Catholic Church the bride of Christ? In other words, is this the, the institution or really the, the body of believers that is his extension of his body and mission still on earth, he being the head of the church? And is it the bride that he was willing to lay down his life for and the bride that he continues to sanctify through the power of the Holy Spirit, leading and guiding and sanctifying it always? Because if so, then I would want to be part of that. If it's just a club, if it's just a service organization club, if it's just a social network, if it's just a feel-good kind of um, self-help you know, group that you get together on Sunday mornings and you just try and get through life together, and it's nothing more than your local neighborhood sociological experiment, well, yeah, there might be better ways to use your time or better ways to organize a body of people. But if it really is the body of Christ... Uh, or excuse me, rather the bride of Christ, uh, he being the head and we can be the continuation of his body on earth, then I think that's worth pursuing. Mm. Number three? Number three. This is, I think, actually one of the most critical ones. Do Catholic priests have sacramental power? Mm. Um, And I I don't raise this question, you and I being priests, to kind of pump up our egos and tell everybody how important we are. That's not the point. We'll do another uh, podcast on that. No. <laughs> the point is, um, if Catholic priests actually have sacramental power, then the sacraments really mean something. Then there has to be you know, some veracity and some truth behind our teachings on the Eucharist, that sin can be absolved in confession, that the anointing of the sick actually does something sacramentally for somebody in the healing of mind, body, and soul. If not... Then, then communion, the Eucharist, is nothing more than a show. Going to confession is nothing more than just a psychological exercise sitting down with a counselor. Yeah, or some uncomfortable experience. Right, some torture chamber, which we've discussed in the past. Anointing of the sick is nothing more than just kind of a placebo. Yeah. You know, rub some oil in and tell yourself you're feeling better. And our own ordinations is nothing more than just a power trip and uh, some, you know, clericalism right. ego play that we're just jumping into. Right. So I think those three questions, and obviously it's not an exhaustive list. There could be lots of other questions on how we understand prayer, how we understand uh, spirit and matter combined, especially in sacraments. Uh, there could be lots of other questions, but just focusing on those three, I think they I think they cover a lot of ground in terms of Christian belief and, and a Catholic profession of faith. Yeah, I that's spot on. I think I just had a little Q and A with a 
with a youth group the other night. And I think all of their questions could have been summed up in that because even the moral questions, those flow out of that second question of, um, is the church, the body of Christ and what's our relationship to, to him, all the questions that surround kind of commitment to the church. You know, we just had a podcast recently about cohabitation and what commitment means. Um, a lot of that comes out of, well, who is Jesus? Who am I committing my life to Who am I following? So many questions about the, the sacraments that I get all the time. I realize that they all come back to, oh, you don't actually believe that that holy orders is a sacrament and that there's sacramental power that flows from the priesthood and that apostolic succession is a thing. And like, oh, because, well, yeah, you don't believe in that. So Protestantism totally makes more sense in your mind because once you reject priesthood, then everything else starts to fall apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for any of our listeners who are kind of just tuning in and kind of wondering, where am I at on all of this? You know, maybe break those three questions down for yourself and say, okay, do I actually believe that Jesus is divine? Um, if you're if you're a practicing Christian, you would probably quickly say yes. If you're not quite sure, um, I think it's good to kind of break that down and to say, okay, you know what what is it that Jesus is actually claiming for himself? What is it that he claimed in his relationship to the Father when he said, "The Father and I are one," and and how could he actually do that? And that's gonna re, that's gonna involve probably a little bit of study. It's probably gonna involve. Uh, some discussions with other Christians to say, I don't understand what this whole Trinity business is. I don't understand how God can be in heaven. Holy Spirit can be in heaven. Jesus as man on earth is also divine. How is he 100% human and 100% divine? How does it really happen? That, that might require a little bit of study, and that's okay. There's plenty of resources online. There's catechesis uh, instructions and definitions that can help kind of uh, navigate one through all that. Mm-hmm. I think we might have had a maybe an episode like a year ago or something, the, the trilemma of C.S. Lewis, the right. Lord liar lunatic. Yep. That's kind of just that mere Christianity, like sitting in your room, thinking about this stuff exercise that you can do that like starts the process of more of the intellectual um, adventure or the, the searching. Mm-hmm. It's just that question of, well, who, who do he claim himself to be? Um, well, clearly in the scriptures, you know, these firsthand accounts, um, he claimed to be God. Like he, he said things and he did things that only somebody coming from God, the son of God could do forgiving sins, calling himself. I am these different things throughout the gospels, Mm -hmm. um, establishing a church, um, continuing, uh, people of Israel. He claimed that is he actually who he says he is? Um, are the claims true? Is he a liar? Like who in that case wouldn't be a good, uh, moral guru. Mm -hmm. Um, or is he crazy? Like, and you're just crazy as well. If you follow him, like, It's a nice practice. Or is he just a legend? That's the other thing. Did he even exist? You know? Mm -hmm. Well, then when you start thinking of those things, that's what kind of like leads you down certain paths of study and investigation. Mm -hmm. No, that's helpful. Thank you. You know, going back to questions two and three, I think one of the ways that I am so impressed with um, how to live out and encounter those questions is, is the church really the bride of Christ? And does the Catholic priesthood actually have sacramental power? You could study that and study that and study that and read all kinds of theologians, but I think one of the things that I am most impressed with is the faith of faithful Catholics who just embody the answers to those questions. You know, uh, they see scandal in the church. You know, there's there's the Catholic priest abuse crisis. Uh, maybe a bookkeeper gets caught embezzling money. Maybe they feel like they go to church and there's a bunch of hypocrites sitting there and Everybody in this room, you know, claims to be a practicing Christian, a practicing Catholic. But they're all judgy. Right. 
Um, and yet there's so many practicing Catholics who say, no, but I'm still there. Um, even in the midst of the, the, the fallen sinners who are in the church or who help lead the church, I'm still there because this church is real and it was founded by Jesus. And there's something mystical going on here as it's consistently been led for 2,000 years with saints and sinners, but always guided by the Holy Spirit, and that her dogmatic teachings on faith and morals are a firm anchor on which one can rely on. Um, for me, just one of the most profound uh, you know, supports of that whole argument is the faith of so many Christians who I don't think are crazy, and I don't think they're just you know flying off the handle just to follow some pie-in-the-sky notions. Mm-hmm. I think they have this deep, deep sense in their conscience that they are following the bride of Christ, and they belong to that and they cherish it. And the same is true in how they treat us as priests. Despite all of our shortcomings, all of our faults, all of our mistakes, uh, the reverence that faithful Catholics continue to give to us, not because we deserve it, not because you know we're celebrities, but because they know that we have been given a sacramental power, and it's actually the sacramental power that is linking them through our ministry to Jesus' priesthood, that's actually what they're reverencing most, not just us as men, as mere human beings. They are reverencing the fact that they have uh, an avenue or a portal, so to speak, to Jesus' divine power through human means on earth. The fact that they reverence that and cherish it so deeply in how the sacraments get celebrated and how the church is led is such a beautiful witness for me, uh, and it's a healthy reminder as to what we're called to do and why the church is real. Yeah. And I think the whole reason we have the lives of the saints is exactly that, right? They're those Christians who witnessed to the truth of the church being the bride of Christ through their own relationship with Jesus, right? We just had Catherine of Siena's feast day recently. And yeah, the way that she can articulate through her writings, through her conviction, her relationship with Jesus, right? The way that she can articulate God's divine providence working in her life is because she recognizes the reality that the church that she's a member of, that she embodies as a bride of Christ in herself as a virgin, like that's a that's something real. And I just think immediately of these from the twentieth century, the the priest who spent time in some kind of prisoner of war experience. You know, Maximilian Kolbe and and mm-hmm. um, and Emil Capon stick out as two priests who, in the midst of like torturous, um, you know, uh, containment in a in a concentration camp or a prisoner of war camp for by the Capon in Korea. Um, they were still like, insofar as they could, celebrating the sacraments. And the stories that come out of that, or that really compelling story, um, Under the Shadow of His Wings, have you mm. ever read that one? Before? I have heard of that one. Yeah, it was a Franciscan, German Franciscan seminarian who was conscripted into the Nazi um, army and, be, and ended up becoming an SS officer and then got ordained before seminary. It's this wild, compelling story. Oh, I, I have seen this yeah, advertised. Now I know what you're talking it's about. it's a true story of yeah, this yeah. guy. I think they just released a, a second edition or a reprinting oh, of that book. I need to get a copy of that. I, I yeah. lis- I've listened to it over um, an audiobook. But anyways, those are these moments where like in the midst of terrible things, you can actually see that conversions were happening by these by these Nazi guards. Conversions were happening by by pagan, you know, prisoners who were there and I think they were in um oh Algeria or something like that. In, in this prison and like he was able to celebrate mass and they talked about what was happening, the real conversion that was happening at that place because of um, not just the holiness of the man, which that's so beautiful about the, about the saints, but the sacraments that he was celebrating and the real, the real eff- efficacy of the sacraments of the Eucharist of confession, mm-hmm. um, things that were happening. Mm-hmm. 
So, Father, I realize that these three questions that I brought up are kind of broad, <laughs> and they cover an enormous amount of theological territory. Um, and, and maybe it's not really helpful for everybody to kind of sit down and think about that, because the reason why someone might say I'm Catholic is really manifold. Someone might say I'm Catholic because of my grandmother's witness in raising me in the faith. Someone might say I'm Catholic because my spouse brought me into the church. Someone might say I remain Catholic because I had this profound experience of Jesus in prayer when I was you know, really touched with his beautiful grace and I was in a beautiful church, and the whole thing just seems so cohesive and so compelling that I go back to that as a real foundational moment. Mm-hmm. So everybody already probably has, if they're practicing the faith, a lot of reasons that really buttress and support why they stay in the church and why they keep going in their belief. But for any of our listeners who might be really struggling or on the edge, I just offer these these three, three components that they might want to spend some time focusing on, both in prayer and in study. Is Jesus really divine? Is he the head of the church as his bride that he died for and sanctifies by his spirit? And thirdly, did he give his followers, his apostles, sacramental power that can continue to sanctify and lead and build up the faithful of God. Uh, so for any of our listeners who are, who are just chewing on some things or are looking for greater specification in where they really find their Christian roots, spend some time chewing on that and maybe talk to your local parish priest, your catechist, friends in the church, um, maybe helping you just kind of navigate your way through those important questions. Yeah, and if you like... Um dabble on youtube or anything there's kind of these different pockets of catholic youtubers that are out there now kind of through matt frad through trent horn these guys who kind of bounce back and forth between different protestant channels and catholic channels who do these different either debates or just dialogues or things like that and it's interesting because these questions really get to the heart of conversion for so many like these these protestant youtubers who are like deep in the study deep in the conversation it really comes down to sometimes it's the authority but often that comes from the sacramental nature of the priesthood often it's this question of um the identity of the church right and like how does the the hierarchy fit into that how does my position well that's where this notion of the bride of christ comes in Mm -hmm. i mean then that kind of first tier of that move from atheism to agnosticism to Christianity really is who is this Jesus and is he, is he divine? Mm-hmm. I just think that can be so helpful for our own continued conversion ourselves, you mm-hmm. know, not just like, cause I can see the idea of, of somebody hearing this. Well, I'm not that outcast. You know, I don't, I don't dis, you know, I, don't, I believe those things. Can you defend them? Like when your children ask you someday about those, mm-hmm. like when, when your friends at work kind of push back with these, kind of canned questions that are often or, or kind of canned responses that kind of these throwaway arguments um, against the priesthood because of the abuse scandal or or against the church because of the quote-unquote corruption that's been there from the beginning mm-hmm. <laughs> as the one as somebody told me I said when when was the beginning and they said well you know like with King Henry the eighth and, and that I was like <laughs> was a little bit of time before that to, to just have your own awareness of like what is my own conviction you know how do I know how do I know these things? How am I confident? How have I assented, you know, my own will to these different beliefs? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good insights. Thanks for uh, kind of bantering with me on these three questions. It's good to kind of talk them out. And maybe some of our discussion points will help some of our listeners. Always good to be with you, Father. Likewise, Father Shane. I just missed the button there. So That's all right. <laughs> Adios, everybody. Let's keep one another in prayer. Take care. God bless. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.